The Paunch Stevenson Show. PaunchStevenson.com. Episode 264. Friday, May 8, 2015. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. This is the Paunch Stevenson Show, paunchstevenson.com. Episode 264. I am Rob, you are Greg. Howdy. And we are here once again with special, very, very special guest, Cassine Gaines. Welcome. Yay! <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Welcome back. We're glad to have you back. It's cool to be on. I listen. I'm a listener to wow. the Bosch Stevenson show. <laughs> so it's, I you're, feel you're like I'm a listener. <laughs> no. I feel like I'm a celebrity when I'm on the show. I'm like, I listen. I go, that's me. You do realize that you don't have to write a book simply to be on our show. It's not a prerequisite. <laughs> really? Oh, wait. I, I want to be back on the porn season. All right, let me write another book. <laughs> we have other people who, who do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the motivating factor. Now I'm not going to do another one. That was it. Now that I know I can be on any time. <laughs> So why so are you why are you on the Paunch Stevenson show? Uh, gee, I mean, heck if I know. No, no, just kidding. I have this super cool uh, book, We Don't Need Roads, the making of the Back to the Future trilogy, uh, which is out June 23rd through Plume Books. Awesome. Which is a part of Penguin. So Back to the Future. Yes. Very, very famous, popular, beloved movie. Mm-hmm. Trilogy franchise. Trilogy, right? So and this is so, so this is what like the tenth book written about Back <laughs> to the Future. You know what's funny? Actually, it's um it's the first book that looks at the entire Back to the Future phenomenon from uh, before the films were written all the way through convention culture and the ride and the animated series. Um, it's really the first time that's been done. There was a book that came out in 1990 or 1991, um, but it was really just mostly about the making of the sequels more than anything else. Um, it didn't have anything about the ride or anything else, and it was a really thin, thin, thin book with lots of photos. It was um, a pamphlet, right? Yeah, it, you know, it was, it was like, it was a cool so, collector's, like, you know, like liner notes sort of thing, you know? And, when I buy box sets, it's the sort of thing that like I would like to have as like a, something on my coffee table. But it didn't really have um, 
I think that this this has a lot more information in it. Spoke with lots of people, interviewed lots of people, so it's a big, um, it's a comprehensive book. I like to think. <laughs> yeah. How long did you uh, do all the researching and intel and gathering and everything? Well, the really funny story um, that I'll make short is this book was supposed to come out in September, and September or October. Um, Last year? Uh, no, 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 this year. Oh, coming this up. year, okay. So it's supposed to be... 2015. 2015. Um, but then it was moved up to June, which doesn't sound like it's a big move, but it's a huge move. Yeah. So everything was done very, very um, quickly for this book. So I was sort of like writing a couple pages a day and vegging out, and then um, I spent some, like a couple long weekends in a Starbucks just knocking out like 80 pages wow. <laughs> you know in a, in a day or in a weekend or something like that so um, from start to finish the book took about maybe a little over a year and a half wow. which is uh, a shorter period of time than the the Pee Wee and Christmas story books that I wrote mm. so why did it get fast-tracked we wanted to get ahead uh, initially we were trying to hit the um, 2015 date, you know, the October 21st yeah, yeah. date. Um, but then there was a, a last minute decision that we should also try and get ahead of the actual 30th anniversary of the film, which was 4th of July weekend, which is why we're coming out just a little bit before uh, that. Gotcha. So nice. it was, uh, it, it sounds, I mean, it sounds sort of silly. It sounds like a, a common sense thing that we would think about, but we actually thought about it kind of like, oh yeah, after, you know, after the thought. So. So you know how, let's say, Back to the Future, 30th anniversary, I imagine, you know, just to pretend, right? I imagine yeah. maybe uh, people involved in the film will do some kind of, uh, uh, what do they call a uh, speech or keynote speech? What do they call those? A, com a, a panel discussion. Sorry, I was blanking. The commencement at Harvard. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, or, or they'll do some kind of, like, convention or something. So... But, but that's the people starring in the movie or involved in the movie. With something like this, do you do, like, hey, Back to the Future, 30th anniversary. I wrote a book about it. I'm going to be doing a book tour or talks or something like that. Well, I mean, that's that's the, the million-dollar question. I mean, you know, um, yes and no. You know, a lot of um, what ends up happening with these books is that I end up... Um, since I interview so many people and end up developing relationships with them, um, I end up going where they go. You know, it's easier for me to go where they are than to try and, you know, anyone that's, that's getting a book on Back to the Future is getting a book because they love Back to the Future. You know, they're not getting it because they love me, per se. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> they could. I mean, they, they could, maybe. Um, the, the regular listeners to the Bob Stevenson show. <laughs> But, um, but, you know, so for me, it's like I, I'm um, going to London uh, this summer. They're having a huge, um, the London Comic Con. Michael J. Fox is there. Christopher Lloyd's there. Ah, what? Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There are wait, 12 wait. actors from the film that are there. Time out. Um, yeah, Time good. Out. Now why, we just say by the bell why, rules. Time why out. are they not doing this at New York Comic Con? Why London? I, I don't, I can't. What is London? I'm, Come on, listen, New I'm, York. I, I can't, maybe it's Call possible, it's possible, it is in New York too. They haven't announced anything for New York Comic Con. Uh, so wait, when is the London? New York Comic Con is in October. Right, right. when is London Comic Con? Uh, July, July 17th through 19th. Uh, 
So if you're in London, come on by. Uh, Michael J. Fox is there, which is just amazing. Um, that is amazing. It's, it's, you know, yeah. Michael J. Fox, Claudia Wells, who plays Jennifer, uh, Marvin Berry is there. <laughs> Uh, was it Harold Waters? Uh, Harry Waters Jr. Um, Don Love, who's Mayor Goldie Wilson, hey. is there. Um, God, is James Tolkien, who's Principal Strickland's there. Uh, Jeffrey Weissman, who's uh, second George McFly, is there. <laughs> We're gonna have to uh, talk about him a little bit. <laughs> so there's, 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 uh, there's a lot of people that are going there. It's gonna be a very but no good Thomas time. F. Wilson. Of course, no Thomas L. Why Wilson. Is, why is Tom Wilson so anti Back to the Future? I don't know if Tom Wilson's anti Back to the Future. I think that Tom to Wilson be. is. Doesn't he want money? I, I think Tom Wilson. Doesn't he want to buy food and pay rent? <laughs> Listen, Tom Wilson, I have nothing bad to say about Tom Wilson. I don't either. He's he, funny. Um, to, he is funny. He, he, is wants to, he wants to do stand up. He, he, he wants to do. He does stand up comedy. He, he uh, paints. He's an artist. Um, you know, that's what he wants to do with his career. He doesn't want to do Back to the Future stuff. I mean, I can sort of understand that. I, I can't. I mean, both. <laughs> you can do both. You know what? I have to say this, and I and I, it's funny because I don't mean I mean this so sincerely. I'm not kidding. But I got a very, very, very nice. Um, you know, I don't talk about Back to the Future letter from Tom Wilson. You know, so I I get it. You know, sometimes I don't get. I mean, I didn't get a very had nice been, letter from Crispin Glover. I didn't been, get. Oh, well. I mean, so I. I think that Tom Wilson is very appreciative of Back to the Future fans. I just think that it's not what he wants to did, consume did Tom's, this time Did Tom's letter look like it had been Xeroxed <laughs> from a facsimile from like 1991? <laughs> it was. It was from his uh, his manager or agent uh -huh. or someone. But it was very. But it was very nice. Was, very nice. Get, was he abused on set or something? <laughs> no, or? not at all. He had a great time. Was, was actually, he was, was traumatized. Well, I guess the manure, right? Um, but it's, no, it's it was funny. abused by Eric Stoltz. Well, yeah, the big. Well, Eric Stoltz. That's. <laughs> Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Rob was making, making a face. Um, because you didn't read the book. I know. I see? read. I started the book. I, know. I, read, I read part Why? of the book. I'm an English teacher, and I tell my kids all the time: you wouldn't watch a trailer and then say you saw the movie. No, I'm you not. Wouldn't, no. No, that's right. You that's right. You wouldn't read. You know, you wouldn't watch the first five minutes of something on Netflix and then say, "Right, I, I just." You're right. I watched. Right. But I you agree. don't. But you didn't have to read it yet. You are Rob, speaking okay. to. A couple of the worst students ever to have in English <laughs> class. Well, in, in wanna, English class. We were not. We were not. That's because you guys didn't have me. I would have motivated exactly. You. <laughs> Talk about Back to the Future all day. Anyway, um, so Back but, to the Future. Hold on. But Tom, just last thing on Thomas F. Wilson. He did that faux um, funny or die thing. Yeah. Um, where he was playing like the the, the bad Biff, mm. and and that was recent. What, you know, in the Tom, last few years, Tom so Wilson, it's not like he, he won't do anything. Tom Wilson used to, and I'm saying recently used to, like I think maybe 2000, uh, I mean, within like the last maybe five or six years, you know, used to do the convention circuit, used to, um, you know, go to do signings and things like that, but just it's sort of recent that he's that he's stopped. Um, but who knows, you know, I there's a huge, bless you, there's a huge 30th anniversary um, Convention, we're going back. Uh, yes. The we're going back conventions in Los Angeles. We're going back.com. Plug for those guys. Um, and I, I'd like to think that maybe Tom Wilson will show up there. I mean, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge, huge no. event. 
That's in October? That's in October as well, yeah. See, this is why I don't think that they will be at New York Comic Con, because I think everyone will be there. Ah, it's like the same, well, almost the same weekend. I, it's I think it not. Is the same weekend. It's, it's a week apart. Nah, they, they'll never do one. Okay. All right, so, I know these things. Right, okay. Anyway, anyway. I'll, I'd love future. to be proven wrong. I've been trying to get Michael. <laughs> I explained on this podcast. I tried to get Michael J. Fox outside of Letterman, and that didn't happen. What happened? Well, he came I over, know you've explained got, it before. He got but... bum rushed. Well, what, oh. ha what happened was he came over to sign, yeah. and I unfortunately was on the side of the railing that was not like blocked off with a car, oh. where like the other side was, and all these idiots just bum rushed, and security was like. We gotta get him out of here. It's ridiculous. Oh, that's too bad. That was recently him. when he was at Letterman just yeah, a couple of weeks like, ago. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's too bad. What so, can you do? So we don't need roads. Yes. So and we don't. So <laughs> out of all of the celebrities and, and the the people involved who you spoke with and interviewed. Yeah. Any interesting uh, experiences or tidbits or experiences on your end, experiences on their end from back in the day? I mean, everyone's experience. I mean, I have to say that the the best person, or the person I had the most, um, I learned the most from certainly is Bob Gale, who um, was uh, co-creator of the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, producer on all three films, he was writer on all three films, he actually wrote the sequels by himself. The story was something that he and Zemeckis came up with, but he actually wrote the screenplay himself, Bob Gale. Um, and Bob Gale, it's funny because when I just started working on this book, I reached out to a gentleman named Stephen Clark who runs BackToTheFuture.com and um, asked him for an interview and he gave me an interview and they said, you have to speak to Bob Gale and Bob Gale um, said, you know, I, I'd love, I'll speak to you forever, but you have to have a deal. At the time, I didn't have a book deal um, okay. for it. So he's like, you know, listen, I will help you out completely, but, you know, I, I need to know that you're serious. You know, this is really going to get done. I don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, talking for nothing, essentially. <laughs> Some guy um, like if we had called him. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we'll do the punch Stevenson show. Um, so uh, what ended up happening is that as soon as, you know, once I got the deal, it was a complete, like the floodgates opened. I mean, and Bob Gale keeps amazing records. He has an amazing memory. He's candid as all hell. I mean, he really is. I mean, there's, you know, um, very, very honest and frank about Crispin Glover and Eric Stoltz and, and you know, just all of the, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, so what about Crispin Glover? Well, he's... <laughs> his wackiness. Crispin Glover, um, my he's favorite... He's from another planet. <laughs> Crispin Glover is... Um, it, it was funny because I found um, almost all the actors had really wonderful things to say about Crispin Glover. They thought that he was a genius. They thought that he was fantastic. They thought that he was uh, like a highlight of working on that first film. And all of the crew, every crew member from like top to bottom had like horrible, <laughs> horrible <laughs> memories of Crispin Glover. Why? And you know what, Crispin... Um, it's probably fair to say I did not speak to Crispin Glover for this book. Um, despite no, 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 no. He did not speak to you. That's true. I, I made I made every attempt, believe me. It was his um, his, uh, his loss. <laughs> what else Whatever. is he doing? But, um, but Crispin um, is, a, is a free spirit, is an artist with like a capital A. I mean, it's the best way I can sort of describe it. I mean... Artiste. Art, an artiste, yeah. <laughs> like, he, he shops at Tar... Target, you know, right. like one of those artists. 
Um, but yeah, Crispin Glover was just a lot of eccentricities, you know, on the set. And and um, my favorite Crispin Glover story that's that's in the book is um, he in, he invites Leah Thompson over to his house. Do you, do you, do you remember? In real invites, life. In real life, yeah. So he invites Crispin Glover over to his house um, to run lines or to, to get into character because they were going to be playing a different version of themselves, the version at the end of the first film where, you know, the McFlies are, are now, you know, uh, the Waltons or something. Now they're like... This. I didn't understand, honestly, I didn't understand, like, their... I know they're actors and all that, but I didn't understand, like, why they gave that so much insight considering it was only like the last two, two and a half minutes <laughs> well i, I don't they, that's, they are professional i think that's part of i don't know if, i don't know if they did i think that might have been a crispin thing i don't know if everyone gave it that that same level of of uh focus but um leah thompson goes over to his uh house his house is completely <laughs> completely painted in black um, with no furniture with no inside oh inside okay with, with no furniture, and there's nothing but a steel, I'm laughing too much, there's nothing but a, a steel medical examination table. <laughs> Why? And this is when he was still Why? perceived to be somewhat normal. Yeah, this, uh. was, this, was, this was true life, and, and so, but, but the weird thing is that despite the fact there was no furniture besides a steel metal examining, uh, examination table, um, they they painted a, a volcano on canvas. You know, they like they got out a piece of canvas and they both painted a volcano together, and that was the way that Crispin proposed that they get into character. But so, so that was that so, sort of. <laughs> so where did Crispin Glover sit in his house? Oh, I don't on know. The floor? Or? I don't know, but I mean, I imagine perhaps in the bedroom or something. I mean, that was you know, that was in like the main living room. Well, I don't know. I'm it, talking about in the main living room, right. you know. I, I don't know what the bedroom was like, and, and Leah did not get that far um, <laughs> in, in terms of her story. Um, but, no, I mean, but that's that was sort of the, the way, you know, it's just, it's a good example of what it was like. So, I don't want to spoil the book. Yes. Because <laughs> there's a lot of good information here, but... I think that probably most Back to the Future fans know already that the original Marty McFly was not Michael J. Fox. It was played by Eric Stoltz. Yes. Can you tell us about that process or that situation? Yeah. Um, the, I guess the, the streamlined version of the story is that Eric Stoltz um, had just shot Mask, the film Mask, and... Um, and Smokin'. So, yeah, that, that's no, the one. <laughs> and Cher played Cameron Diaz's role. <laughs> um, so uh, Eric Stoltz was just cast mouse. in. Yeah, wow, that's funny. There's a little field mouse Stuart out Little, there, voiced by uh, by Michael J. J. Fox. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's a cute little mouse though. Look at it. <laughs> Sorry. No. Sorry to distract. No, it's cute though. I mean, it's weird. I'm not like a mouse person, but that's like a really like. Cute little baby mouse. Yeah, just don't get have it in your house. Right, right from here it's great. So sorry. So uh, no, no, stole. sorry. So Eric, so he had so just mask. shot Mask, um, not the Jim Carrey film, right. and uh, the head of the studio thought that Eric Stoltz knew that Eric Stoltz was going to be the next big thing. He loved Eric Stoltz's job in Mask, and um, 
believed Eric Stoltz was a star on the rise. And so um, Michael J. Fox was always the first choice for Marty McFly, of course. Um, but he was unavailable uh, with his family ties schedule. And so uh, Zemeckis, Spielberg, uh, Bob Gale cast Eric Stoltz. It did not work out. Obviously. They cast him. They cast him reluctantly. They cast or? him reluctantly. I mean, it was one of those things where, and you know, everyone who has a job understands what this is like. Robert Zemeckis had um, the authority to cast whoever he wanted, but the head of the studio was pushing for Eric Stoltz. So, well, the other choice they had was, I, which I kind of forgot about, this, was C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, real soul man. <laughs> exactly. You know what's funny about that? So. See, so Soul Man came out the year after Back to the Future, so you can absolutely imagine an alternate, Boy, an alternate timeline. Yeah. He, <laughs> good fortune. <laughs> In an alternate timeline, he does Back to the Future, he doesn't do Soul Man, and Greg would have been outside Letterman chasing down C. Thomas Howell. Oh, wow, yeah, that's true. Well, I think he would have been a lot easier yet, because he... Well, now, the, yeah. the alternate timeline. The alternate the timeline. Yeah, the... Uh, the 2015A, you know, the, the chalkboard. <laughs> well, that's the question. So do you think C. Thomas Howell would have been, the film would have been successful? Because it definitely wouldn't have been, I don't think, as successful with Eric Stoltz. I think with C. Thomas Howell, yes. I mean, you know, one of the things, a lot of people that I spoke to on the crew um, talked about how good C. Thomas Howell was. I mean, they, they thought it was sort of... You couldn't get Michael J. Fox, but at least we have C. Thomas Howell. You know, that was sort of the the thought. And um, first now we're laughing about that. Yeah, and, and now unfortunately, um, unfortunately, they ended up no no one really was uh, in support of Eric Stoltz being cast except for Sid Sheinberg, who was. Um, the head of Universal at the time, and I spoke to Sid Sheinberg. He does not do a lot of interviews. Uh, still alive? Yeah, he, he is. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of interviews about you know Back to the Future or about really. I mean, you know, about his time at Universal. But I got an interview with him. It was sort of hard to get, and he still to this day maintains, um, you know, that when people say Back to the Future would have been good with Eric Stoltz, he goes, you know, how do you know? Good, good script, good idea. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Good script, good idea. Maybe you know, maybe it would have been fine. I mean, I don't know. But I just think the one scene where I just think it would have been a failure would the scene where um, they're 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 staying in the high school, mm -hmm. uh, Marty and Doc in nineteen fifty five, and they're in the high school, and he goes. They're talking about the, the mother, and he's like, well, you know, do you have any in interaction? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, they you know, hit my old man with the car, hit me with the car. And then he goes, you mean to tell me, Doc, you mean to tell me that my mom has got the hots for me? <laughs> like, the way that whole scene, Soul's, no, it, it, I just, he had no, he had no funny. Well, it's funny, because Leah Thompson, one of the things that she said is, you know, my, the great strengths of those Back to the Future films, which you don't even realize, I didn't realize it really until she said it, is that Michael J. Fox is such a carefree actor that you don't, you you sort of go along for the ride. You know, you don't really, your your main character is sort of, in not invisible, but I mean, but you know, Back to the Future is, it's about Doc Brown, it's about DeLorean, it's about, you know, there's other things that are happening there. Marty McFly is sort of just the eyes yeah. by which we see, you know, these adventures. Um, but with Eric, it just was too heavy. It was like too focused on Marty and Marty isn't developed enough as a character almost to, to deserve all this attention when there are so many other uh, spectacular things happening in the film. Now, the interesting thing that, I, one of the things I read and I didn't even 
I, maybe I knew this way back when, but I don't I didn't remember, was they had originally wanted Claudia Wells to play Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer, but she was signed to a TV show. Yeah. And then... They they had this other uh, actress, Melora Hardin, who plays who plays C. Thomas Howell's girlfriend in Soul Man. Wow, this is <laughs> just just Inception. Just in case you were no. just in case you were wondering, <laughs> Tale of Two Cities. So <laughs> so they were going. In, you said you were a bad English student. Look yeah. at you. It was the best of movies. It was the worst. It was the mediocre of and movies. I got that from Star Trek not from English books. oh okay fair enough so the, the crazy thing is when they when they cast when they had to fire Eric Stoltz and bring in Michael J. Fox who's much shorter than Eric Stoltz who's not that big either mm-hmm. Melora Hardin was too short I mean she was too, too tall, tall for yeah. Mike they perceived from Michael J. Fox so they fired her and brought back Claudia Yeah, it's funny. The you know, Back to the Future was sort of a revolving door of casting for a period of time, getting that, getting that film made. It's it's actually crazy when you think about how good that movie looks and what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, it really was a lot of. Um, I don't want to say patchwork, but it was a lot of like putting out fires, certainly, um, to get that movie made, which is astonishing considering how well it holds up 30 years later. But yeah, no, that's a funny thing about Claudia Wells. Yeah. What was her name? Melora Hardin. Hardin. She played uh, Jan on, on The Office. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke with her, and she was just a. I'm a huge Office. I'm a geek about The Office, so it was. You know, I, I sort of, I called up about Back to the Future, but I really wanted to talk about <laughs> nah, okay, my next book. Um, she, I, I have to say, speaking of The Office, she plays crazy very, very yeah. con- convincingly. Yeah. <laughs> but she keeps her composure like a boss in Soul yeah. Man. Yeah. So, um, and, and at the beginning of your book, at least in the, uh, the uh, advanced copy that we read, and I have to say, we... I've never read an advanced copy before. Oh, really? never had an advanced. What? Why would I have an advanced copy of a book before? Look at you guys. From my, from my, I know. From my, uh, my old job. Yeah. Well, these these wacky random, you know, people I would, <laughs> would send in. No, 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 no. I wish I wish people. It, they would send in these books like, like uh, was Abraham Lincoln an alien? Or, uh, you know, like all these kind of um, wacky things. A Venusian. The uh, like the pigeon diet or whatever you know, just crazy. Things. As in the diet of a pigeon, or <laughs> no, like, like the South Beach diet, oh, 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 just oh, oh, a caveman pigeon? diet, the I, pigeon diet. I think Mike Tyson would like that. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm reading the book, and so good. in the prologue, you have um, uh, you talk about how you were you were ready to interview Robert Zemeckis, yes. and you only had a half an hour on the phone. Yes, and you had your recorder, and the recorder wasn't working. Or no, you Skype had a program on Skype. Yeah, I have a Skype. program, and I can commiserate because at one time I had a phone interview with Eliza Dushku, mm-hmm. oh, and the her. same exact thing happened <laughs> where. It did not. I couldn't get it to work properly. I had the settings all screwed that up. One time. The one Just time. The one time. It's my it's my own fault. I didn't prepare it well enough. And so at the last minute, I was like, "What the hell am I gonna do? What am I gonna do?" And so I just was like, "All right, hell with this." So I yanked 
a plug out of the back of the computer so that the sound would come out of the speakers, and I recorded it on the personal. I mean, which is basically terrible, what I ended up, you know, sort of what I ended up doing. Except no one has to hear it except for me, you know. But no, what but, about the the DVD extras? The, ooh, wouldn't that be something? Or all the the uncut the, interviews, the CD ROM. Yeah, that, that might be the last book. book. <laughs> That's true. Does it come with a CD ROM? Oh, wouldn't that be fun? What's a CD ROM? <laughs> <laughs> Marty. Wait, this is Unix. I know this. <laughs> a CD ROM sounds like the sort of things that they would that they would uh, come up with in 1989 for Back to the Future 2. That's what a CD right. ROM sounds right. like. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was so funny. I have to say, um, I, I got really lucky with this book, with everyone, for the most part, everyone really um, being very amenable to speaking with me, you know, I, I really um, didn't, there, were, there weren't too many people that I really wanted to get that I couldn't get, um, but, so Robert Zemeckis' people were so kind, so nice, so accommodating, but he's an incredibly busy person, of course, and the only thing, that the, oh yeah, he's very busy, of course he is. Um, Making the Polar Express too. <laughs> yeah, don't don't you sass me, Rob? I know it's your show, but um, <laughs> all right, fine. It's very busy. So, <laughs> but they were very insistent that he only has a half hour, and so so it was a little nerve wracking for me. So but, was it literally half hour, like at twenty nine fifty nine? He just hung up the phone. <laughs> it it right. went a couple minutes over. This message will self destruct. <laughs> it went a couple minutes over. So he was very kind for that. Um, but I knew, so actually, um, one of the things that I, I knew by that point in time was that all the quotes that you see in the book are actual quotes from my interviews. They're not quotes from a DVD special feature or something. So I knew that I had to cover a lot of ground with him so that he would be throughout the entire book. I couldn't just talk about Eric Stoltz and then have nothing else to talk about. So that was sort of the most nerve-wracking thing for me. Robert Zemeckis, give me some quotes. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We got, we got three minutes left. Some Somebody's quotes. heard from you in 30 years. <laughs> People, I need, uh, I need some info. I need some info. Was he nice or cranky? or? Oh, my God, he was so nice. Yeah. He was so, and you know what? It's funny because he was very, um, like, a lot of artists like that. You know, Robert Zemeckis has made some of my favorite films. And I love Roger Rabbit. I love... Yeah. Um, I love uh, used cars. Forrest Gump. Used great. cars is great. Um, used cars is great. Um, I mean, tons of things. I mean, obviously, I've not seen the Polar Express, but I hear it's visually very interesting. <laughs> no, no um, it's visually, you know, it's, it's technology. It looks it's like a video game from 1998. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh! Listen. Sorry. No. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis. Castaway. Sorry. Castaway is fantastic. Well, Cast Castaway is great. Was good. Yeah. Um, I'll so, <laughs> so I, I mean, so I'm a big, I'm a big. He didn't do Ghostbusters. Ghost. Who did Ghostbusters? Ivan Reitman, oh, whatever. <laughs> with you, how was he shooting the Ghostbusters and back and forth at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> He's very talented. Jeez. Well, whatever. All right. He was very, um, very sort of quiet. Well, I he, he did Romancing the Stone. He did Romancing the Stone right before? That's that what was, I was thinking of. That was how he was. He it, it did it did very well despite having. No publicity at all. They yeah. spent all the money on Rock, was it rhinestone? rhinestone or rhinestone? <laughs> rhinestone was the one they all put. They all uh, bet the farm on rhinestone. That was uh, Sly Stallone and uh, Dolly Parton. Yeah, remember that? No, it's a match made in heaven. I actually don't. So there you go. That's <laughs> Stallone singing country music, <laughs> but, um, uh, but Dolly Parton. Not. How could it go wrong? Oh, she did sing. <laughs> Sly, Sly is the one doing all the singing. <laughs> so. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So, Frank Stallone. 
So 1985 was a weird <laughs> year. So you're a huge Back to the Future fan. We're, we're all Back to the Future fans. You know a lot. Everyone's about going to in, right? Yeah. You know a lot going in. Doing all of these interviews and research, mm -hmm. was there anything that you discovered? Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Research. That's really cool. I think my my favorite thing to sort of discover, I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know about it in detail, was um, there was this huge hoverboard incident on, uh -oh. on the set of Back to the Future 2. This hoverboard um, that we were promised Yeah, this hoverboard that we were promised. Years. But you know what? But considering, considering the, the you glitches... You can buy it. Yeah, you can it buy it. It just doesn't do anything. Um, considering the glitches that they had actually getting it to work properly for the film, I don't know how much I want to ever get on a hoverboard. Um, I mean, I would be horrible on a hoverboard, let me just say. No, I would, I would, yeah, I would I'm, I'm not very coordinated. Like, I just think, like, I'm this gliding piece of plastic I'd be on. I, like, I mean... Going 40 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it sounds like one of those things that's brilliant in concept, and I would yeah. probably be, like, you know, all over the pavement. Not to derail us, but I'm just... Like, when I was a kid, I always used to think about, like... Because, you know, Back to the Future came out, and you would see Michael J. Fox on the skateboard in the movie and all that. Yeah. And that really caused a lot of kids to go out and get skateboards. Mm -hmm. Not gleaming the cube with Christian Slater, <laughs> but, um, but uh, um, like uh, Back to the Future. So I just remember, like, one of the things I always wanted to do as a kid was to get on the skateboard and grab, the grab hold of the back of a pickup truck yeah. and go. And then I was really like, you know, that's probably not safe. Yeah. It's really unsafe. I, it's it's one of those things where I feel like there would be like parents' rights groups like complaining about it now. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you? But uh, but yeah, it's really like unsafe. a Spielberg thing because he had a big hand in the Goonies, and mm -hmm. they had that scene where um, what's his name, uh, Josh uh, Brolin mm -hmm. is holding on to. The, well, he wasn't holding on, but they grabbed hold of him from the Mustang. Although I was, and it's funny that they were driving and then let him go, and he went flying like ET style. Now you're bringing that forest. up. I've thought about that being a Zemeckis thing because then I thought about Roger Rabbit when Eddie Valiant is like trying to get on the back of the, the trolley or whatever and like yeah. the like little like poor neighborhood kids like come on come on and, like they help him like or maybe he's on the trolley and like there's a kid running after or something like that but there's yeah. some sort of like following close behind a well, moving vehicle We're, so, we don't realize it, I'm sure it's like a Buster Keaton gag or something yeah that they all all those directors it's, like it's saw. a trope yeah a what a trope a trope wow. if you will so alright so so hoverboard Situation. Oh yeah, so incident. so um, the the short version. It, it's a long story. It's a story that takes all, yeah almost the full length of a chapter in this book. But it's um, at the very end of the hoverboard chase sequence when Griff's gang is uh, chasing after Marty, and you know when Marty's on over the pond, and you know those boards don't work unless you got power. You know that part. Right. So. Um, <laughs> At the end, they they crash into the clock tower, which is now all faced in glass in the yeah. future. And you can actually see it in the film, but one of the stunt people don't make it inside. Yeah. And they cut the cord, and she ends up falling, you know, like Broadway Spider-Man style, and like right from like face. 30 to 40 feet in the air, right in her face, and ends up, you know, literally almost dying yeah. um, making that film and they they really um, kept it very quiet because it was a couple years after Twilight Zone the movie and <laughs> you could not have another you know Spielberg uh, near death John you know. yeah yeah um, 
but no so it, that's that was sort of an interesting thing and it was just such a crazy story to talk to those like stunt people that I I kept trying to like make it shorter and make it shorter and make it shorter and then I was like ah I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell the full story here because because when Universal puts out their book it's never gonna be <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that story's not gonna be told yeah, so yeah, someone has to well I will say that in general well that was one of the things that I can remember like watching in the films and being like Oh, yeah, that's sloppy. What, why, why did they do it like that? That just seems sloppy. And now, you know, and then that's the explanation, was that the they were going to do it again. Yeah. Because they almost killed the girl the first time. Yeah, and then that, she was actually the second person to do right. it, because the first person, the first stunt woman quit because she thought the stunt was unsafe. Right. So, like, it's, you know, it's... And look at her now. <laughs> so she, she made the right decision. She lived to tell. And she probably isn't even Soul Man. So she's that's true. she did stunts and so <laughs> um, right. So well, that's as you say. You 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 weren't gonna pare it. You tried to pare it down and get. Her. But I gotta tell you, man. I, like I said, I read through the whole thing. No pictures yet in this version. There, right there. there I will know be. there'll be there will pictures. Be um, but I, have to say, I mean, you really outdid yourself. I mean, Thank it really, you. Again, I'm 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 a fanboy, but I I read it from start to finish in just the weekend. And I never like said to my now I was I was skimming a little bit just because I didn't have time. Right, right, I got you. But I never said to myself, oh, God, this chapter is it ever going to end? Or uh, you know, this is I know all this already. Uh, don't uh, it's just you're just repeating what I know, mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't. But I was able to get through the very, whole thing. It's very I appreciate good. that. I appreciate. I mean, it's you know, for me, this was sort of scary. You know, my um, the first two books had lots of photos throughout. You know, it was a different it was a different sort of thing. But like. When I look at this, um, I mean, it looks like a, you know, it, it looks like a, a like a book. I mean, I, I don't it's mean like that in like you know. Book. Yeah, I mean, like it's like I. It's one of those things where I guess what I mean is, I thumb through it and I go, "Wow, I like, there's a lot of words in here." Like I, um, but it's it's for me. There are some things that some information that people know that you just have to have in the book about like Eric Stoltz being fired. Of course everyone knows, you know, there's there's only so much suspense you can build. You know that Michael J. Fox becomes Marty McFly, so I mean you can't drag right. that Spoiler out. Spoiler alert. Spo <laughs> I don't want to spoil this one, but there was a little Easter egg in there in the beginning where they were talking about the genesis of the story and that they were there was going to be some kind of a sidekick mm -hmm. that was an animal. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. what? Jar Jar Binks. Why would that even be in there? Yeah, there was, it, so the things that, like, I imagine that some, like, I guess my, what I'm saying is, I try to be very aware that there are people coming in at, like, one of two levels. Maybe there are more, but, like, there's, like, extreme fanboys that probably know, you know, 90% of what's in the book. Yeah. And then there are people that, like, remember Back to the Future, maybe have forgotten it, but when they see something on Funny or Die, they go like, oh, yeah, I love that thing. And they post it on Facebook because that's easy to do. And they might see this in a bookstore or on Amazon or something and pick it up because, you know, it's 17 bucks and they have 17 bucks that day. Um, but, you know, trying to tell the story in a way that's interesting enough for people that are big fans to just have it be interesting while also not being too geeky and insidery for someone who is sort of more casual and trying to hit the middle. Plus, you know, um, it's it's a franchise that has three movies, has an animated series. Mm. Um, you know, not I mean, there's video games and stuff like that, but you know, beyond that, I mean, 
most of them are really bad, but those Nintendo ones are fun. Oh, they're... oh we talked about that this once. Remember? We, did. we talked about we did. I don't even I don't remember why, but collecting we spoke about it. Clocks yeah, collecting the clocks and the, the two people with the paint dodging, dodging bees. Did you know? You probably have seen this by now, but in the in the NES version of Back to the Future, which had almost nothing to do with the movie, um, close to zero that, that LJN did. The, there is this horrible, heinous background music. Yes. It's like, it's just, it's, it is so awful. I think, um, well, you guys know the name. I don't, is it um, Angry Video Games? Yeah, yeah Nerf. Nerf. Yeah. I, he had like a, uh, like a review of yeah, it. Yeah, he wasn't that. fond of it. Um, no, it's, uh, it's pretty maddening. But thing. here's the thing. This was just discovered a few years ago. Um, I mean, it was always they there. They use that music in Gitmo. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just, wow. I'm could have. <laughs> no, but if you, there was a guy who slowed down, they slowed the music down and changed like the pitch and stuff like that. Didn't do anything else, just slowed it down, changed the pitch, and it is power of love. <laughs> no. Yes. Dun, 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 No. Yes, you'll find it on YouTube in two seconds. That is, um, wow. Yeah, they so, just programmed it messed up or something. So what happened was the guys who, the guys who programmed the game and were doing the music, um, they did it, and they never got the clearance because they they were gonna pay like Huey Lewis and all the rights and all. Yeah. They're like, no, forget it, we can't use it. So they were like, well, we don't feel like doing another song, so let's just like Destroy mangle it, this yeah. enough so no one. Wow, <laughs> that's that's weird. That's like. And that's why that game is horrible. No, because that's, that's because no, 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 I'm saying well, that's that one reason. that that thought process. You know, like how many other avenues in this game. So, we want them to collect gigawatts, but instead, yeah. Uh, now, and that was, you know, the the old the joke is that Christopher Lloyd said it wrong. It's not actually uh, a gigawatt. Yeah, gigawatts. gigawatts. It's gigawatts. Gigawatt, yeah. right? One point twenty one gigawatts. No, it's gigawatts. <laughs> well, hey, it works. For it the works. Words, Have any any other insights that you could provide, or any other surprises, or anything that surprises. about this trilogy, or how? <laughs> Read the book. Surprises. No, listen. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that I, like other fun interviews. Huey Lewis was fun. Um, speaking to Huey Lewis, I mean, just speaking to Huey Lewis is just fun. Really. Um, when I when I Huey Lewis called me. Um, I like to really? have the phone calls outgoing because I like to have a little bit of control over the situation. Yeah. Like, I like to make sure, like, I'm set up and I'm ready and I'm in a, you know, I have dogs at home, so I have to make sure that, like, you know, they're not barking and they're, you know, whatever. So it's a little bit maddening for me. I like to have the phone calls outgoing, but Huey Lewis um, wanted the phone call to be incoming to keep that phone number private, oh, you know, the, the Lewis line. Wow. So, um, you still could have done it. So, I know, yeah, there's still, there's still ways. But anyway, um, when he calls me, he uses burner phones. He goes, <laughs> that's fun, the secret life of Huey Lewis. Um, 
Uh, I just got like a comic book, like a, like a noir like image of like Huey Lewis like dropping a phone into like a a wire a trash basket. Huey Lewis in the Matrix or something. Um, but anyway, so he calls me and he goes, uh, "Is this Cassine?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "This is Huey Lewis." You know, I just have to let you know. Uh, on my notes here, it says Kasim Gaines, pop culture historian. And let me tell you, brother, if you can make money as a pop culture historian, then you are living the American dream. That was that was the way. I can picture him saying that. <laughs> We're not making money as <laughs> no. pop culture historian. That was uh, that was the way that was the way that conversation started. Nice. Um, so the other thing that I always hated that when they were doing the sequels, and they didn't have a choice because Claudia Wells' mother was stricken with cancer and she couldn't do the films, but yeah. I always felt like, and I had no pro, I, I like Elizabeth Shue who replaced her, mm -hmm. and but I always felt like they when they tried to make her look like Claudia Wells, she looked atrocious. Like her <laughs> hair and the clothes didn't fit right, and she looked like an old lady. Okay. It just looked really bad. What does your book say about that? <laughs> Elizabeth Shue looking like an old lady. You know, it's it's funny because... Is there a chapter I think, about... I was like, Karate <laughs> Kid wasn't that long ago. There isn't a chapter. Oh, well, that's a, it's a funny thing because one of the problems, of course, with the sequels is that you had to match the first film. You know, the film is... It's not like... You know, most other sequels where it could be set a couple of years in the future, it could be set. Um, it, it was literally two minutes later. Right. It was. It was actually. It was sort of like five minutes before, in a weird sort of right. way. Like yeah, because they reset. It was like the Karate scene. Kid Part Two. Yeah. It's, yeah exactly. So, Somewhere. so yeah, in yeah. so in that All regard. Uh, so in that regard, um, they didn't really have a choice but to, you know, her, do that to her hair, and, and and it was one of those things. Listen, no. Everyone was aware that it was an imperfect solution, but it was what else could you do? You know, that's, now, that's the choice. Now, Eric Stoltz to play you now. Now, when they <laughs> replace the Crispin, Crispin Glover with this Soul guy woman. Jeffrey Wiseman, who was like a nobody. So oh, like, yeah, Jeffrey Wiseman's a very nice person. So I know, but he he had he was no one. He, he didn't have, right. Yeah, he was. A, yeah, sure, sure, sure. He, so what no, happened? he was he was an impressionist, like on the on. It, at like Disneyland or at, uh, at, at Universal, Stu at Universal right. Studios actually oh. not, like the theme park not the right. movie yeah. <laughs> he's just hanging around the, the, the studio well, they, he was a, like a stand in he was like a double yeah. So but, what, yeah sorry you were saying yeah, so, so, so what did they do with that so they replaced well Crispin Glover I'm not going to get into specifics but Crispin Glover had, he really had no intention of doing the other films he had a problem that the end of Back to the, the first Back to the Future that when Marty changes the timeline, quote unquote, for the better, that the big thing that stood out was that his parents now were wealth, well, not wealthy, but they were doing much better. They were like preppy kind of dressing, you know, kind of yuppie. And he didn't like that. He's like, well, that, that doesn't mean that it's better to be, you know, uh, and then <laughs> I'm sure that's what he sounded like. Um, but, you know, so like he, he didn't want that. He, he's like more bohemian. He, he didn't like that. So he caused all kinds of it's problems. A character. I understand, but he caused all kinds of problems. So he's playing pretend. They couldn't get him, so they like they they had to write the character George McFly to a point where he was dead in one of the timelines and everything, just so they didn't have to show him. <laughs> he's killed him. But in the one timeline when Marty first goes into 2015, 30 years in the future, he's there. He's there with you know Leah Thompson in the old age makeup and everything, and this poor guy Weissman. 
they used all of these prosthetics that they had crafted off of Crispin Glover's face and put it on him. And, and they pretended he had a back injury and, and stood him upside down the entire time. What? Just to disorient you. you I, don't remember, I, I don't remember There's that There's a great, part. The, best, the best part. Now, because when you know, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like once you know it's not Crispin, and, and not just not just that, but like throughout the entire movie, when they go back into 1955, every time you see George McFly, that's that's not Crispin Glover. That's a different actor. Well, some of them it is when they use. Ah, uh, most, no, most. There's only two very quick shots of Crispin in that entire movie. So like oh, okay. they at the dance, that's Jeffrey Weissman outside with the. Um, Outside with the car, the punch. who punches yeah. uh, Biff? That's hey Jeffrey Weissman. <laughs> Get, Get your, your damn hands, hands off of um, But it's great because all right, be be with me, be with me with this. You'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's after the enchantment, after the uh, at the sea dance, under the sea dance. Yeah. And Marty is walking out when he does the whole thing about like uh, you know, and hey, if you have a kid that sets fire yeah. to the living room, that that moment right yeah. in the stairwell. And they show, yeah, they show. You see Christmas. for a second. Nope, that's Jeff. It's Jeffrey really? Weissman. I thought and they showed him like smiling. Hear, hear me yeah. out. It's Jeffrey Weissman, but it's blurry. Mm. It's blurry. So you see. Um, you see Michael what does it really look like well, in the and then they they throw the focus. Uh, they right. th as soon as like it's it's at a point where you would see his face, the focus just gets thrown. And I just I feel really bad actually. There's great pictures in the book of Jeffrey Weissman um, as George McFly, like really clear, great, great, great pictures. But um, but I feel so badly because you're in a major motion picture, and you're probably thinking, you know, my ship's coming in, and you don't yeah. know when you're the actor that they're gonna put. You're gonna blur you, the, yeah, gonna blur you <laughs> and out. And the you know? the other actors treated him like as a scab, like they didn't want to have anything what? to do with him. They wouldn't talk to him because they felt like he was stealing the other guy's yeah. uh, role. Yeah, but the other guy didn't want to do it. Yeah, but that's <sighs> I don't know. I mean, Michael J. Fox was a jerk. I don't know. I don't. I don't oh, know how much interaction. I think it was mostly Leah Thompson. Well, oh. Jeffrey Weissman felt like Leah Thompson was but, really but, had a hard time. Right, but then you had a lot of instances where Bob Gale and and Sid Sheinberg and some other people, producers, were constantly contradicting. Like, yeah, you know, Jeffrey embellishes, and eh, that's yeah. not really what happened. Yeah, and so that's so actually that's my my job when I write these books is is strange. Actually, I think because. My goal is always to present, like you know, this book, as far as I'm concerned, is is truth, and I mean that. I mean that. In uh, I wasn't there, and I and even if I was there, I was not everywhere over a five year period when these three films were being made. So um, I have to interview people. I have to sort of assess the veracity of their memory, uh, what's in it for them and telling a story. Um, you know, I don't know if I can remember what I had for dinner last Friday, so you're asking me to recall a conversation I had 30 years ago. You know, that's a hard thing to do. So um, the thing that, so for me in terms of accuracy, everything is corroborated. If it's a two-person conversation, at least one of the two people spoke with me, and then I at least made some attempt to, uh, to verify that those two people presumably would have been in the room at the same time or on set at the same day or whatever. Um, but in moments where there were a little bit of ambiguities and I presented, like you said, if Bob Gale disagrees with some of Jeffrey Weissman's 
um, opinions and Jeffrey gets to have his opinions and Bob Gale gets to have his opinions and then the, the reader, reader can sort of decide. The reader decide. So then, now the other thing about Back to the Future which is so unique, I guess it wasn't unique, but was crazy was the amount of product placement in those yeah. in that trilogy. Nike. Unbelievable. Nike and Pepsi. And unusual and for the time, too. Uh, Nintendo, not really. You know, just yeah. the, the one arcade machine. Wow, yes, then. Nike was was big. Texaco. Texaco. Um, there was a weird, it's not written about in the book, but there was DeLorean. a weird product placement called Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> the company was defunct at the time. Um, no, it's it, the product placement was a little bit of like the um, the original production designer Larry Paul did not want to include uh, product placement. They made him um, yeah. Joanna Johnston, who is an absolute sweetheart. She's a costume designer who just won a just won an Oscar a couple of years ago for Lincoln, I think, for costuming Lincoln. Um, she did not want to do any of the product placement. She worked on the sequels, and she didn't want to do any of the product placement with like the self-lacing shoes or any of that sort of thing. She just, she just thought it was, you know, cheesy. Your and, and jacket is now drying. <laughs> I love that. Um, but Where is the self-drying jackets? Self-drying? You yes. know, the, those, the, uh, those like rubber, that's like, like made of like, like rubber or whatever. That's, that's, that's the least of idea. my concern. <laughs> What's the number one thing from Back to the Future 2 that you want? Besides hoverboard, don't say hoverboards. It's, um, that's cheap. Everyone self-lacing shoes. Okay, well that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, I don't know. I would say. I mean, you know, as I was younger, or, or a time-traveling DeLorean. Well, yeah, but that's not from from the true. The, like the culture. I that's know. from 1985. I, I know. <laughs> um, I'm sure a lot of Cub, I just wanted DeLorean. Cub fans would say our team <laughs> in the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> But Put some money on the Cubbies. Yeah. Um, that old guy is Roger Rabbit. Did you know that? Charles Fleischer. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, I would say, see, when I was younger, I had a very, very brief interview with Charles yeah. Fleischer for this book. It was like all of like maybe eight minutes. It was really, he's in it so briefly, there was really nothing to say. Uh, but. Um, I I would say when I was younger, I'd always want, you know, a flying car, obviously. Yeah. Who want, want to drive around a flying car? It's I would great. never want to do that. Well, I would have. I know. I, as in I reality, older, like, not, not in New Jersey. Like, that would be utter <laughs> chaos. People, we've talked about this. But people would be crashing, dropping out of the sky. Oh, ran, out of <laughs> ran out of gas. Drunk driving, you just crash into the house. Just, <laughs> yeah, no, that would be insane. What about you? I would say, well, hold on. A minute. Oh. But I would say now, um, you know, the 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 rejuvenation thing for oh. an extra. What did you say? An extra 40 years to my life or something, you know. How do I look? <sighs> and he pulls all this stuff off and he looks exactly the same. <laughs> but you know why they did that? Come on, think about it. Why'd they have to do that? Uh, for fake Crispin Glover? No, 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 well, no. Because for Christopher Lloyd. Why did they have to do that? Think about it, think about it. Come on, I, come on, come on. Why did they all right, have to do that? All right, I'm going to bail you. They, they didn't have to do it. Fair. But in Back to the Future, in the first one, um, Christopher really Lloyd is, is aged. In the 1985 sequences, because he's only in the 1985 sequences very, very briefly. Yeah. So he is more youthful in the 1955 sequences. But so they don't have to make him wear 
very, very acute old age makeup. I mean, it was very, very slight makeup. So Yeah, they didn't age him properly in the first. <laughs> he looked the same, really. Yeah, oh, just... Leah Thompson hated the old age makeup. She yeah. hated it. Everyone, they all I didn't realize Doc Brown was supposed to have aged. I just thought he was just some old Yo, guy. Yeah, he, looks, he looks younger in 1955. But the thing is that you see him so briefly in 1985. True, yeah. I mean, really, just to get shot by Libyan terrorists. That's the main... Oh, my God. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. <laughs> yes, that giant, Did you read that the giant truck that has... What? Did you read the letter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I was... You know, that's... A lot of the other things, obviously, have, have come true, but... Um, well, what, what did you want from... I like the um, from the future. I like the hydrating a pizza thing. That'd be fun. Like just like pop something, get a little a little pizza. Okay. You can get the palm of your hand, just pop it and in. It comes and a full comes pizza. Out. Yeah, that'd be fun. You could three D print a pizza. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you can eat it though. How does that work? Yeah. I don't know how three D printers. Well, instead work, of using though. plastic in the printer, you just put like dough and sauce in the printer. <laughs> I'm telling you, someone made that. I don't that. think that's the way that works. Someone works. Someone invented. But how? It. No, but in all seriousness, do you guys know how three D printers work? Yeah. How do they, I don't know, can you give me like a, like very, a poor man's very version? Very, slowly. But how do, what is it, it how it, do you program it? Like you just, it's just like a CAD 3D program? Mod, like yeah, 3D model. Interesting. So and, it, it, and it just goes one layer at a time. Yeah. And oh, I see. Cool. But then there's actual functionality. Like if you had like a, like a 3D printed like cannon. Well, it, like well you, it, then you, have, you have to do well, it in parts. Different parts, yeah, and you have to put it together. You have to like wow. have the schematics for all the parts. It's pretty crazy. You know, like like remember when you were little and there would be like a, the like the model car. And yeah, you yeah, snap yeah, out sure. all the pieces. It's but, like but that. it didn't really drive on the highway. Like they were, like they didn't have like a. Model. But that's what I'm saying. Like you could actually use it. Um, well, it depends. I mean, there's certain applications you could use it for. I mean, there's other things that it would I would never rate it to, to be used for. I mean, I wouldn't house, build a house 3D with 3D printed, printed screws or something like or a car with not like, crazy. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But so yeah, but you know, and I guess one of the other legacies uh, beyond the product placement is the the shooting of both movies at the same time, mm -hmm. which I, that was definitely the first time that that was done in that sense and and then it came they came out like six months apart yeah it was crazy it's funny because when i when you ask everyone um that worked on the film would you you know do you think that was a smart decision they almost unanimously say no actually they don't they don't think that that was they think it was a smart so decision to film it? them they would never have made three I don't think. they they never would have made three and also um the thought process it's funny so if you put this in its its proper time like films of the 80s um at the time that Roger Rabbit was made, Roger Rabbit, Ro Roger Rabbit was the most expensive film ever made. Um, and when they released, when they did the numbers for Back to the Future 2, and keep in mind that's Back to the Future 2 and 3, so Back to the Future 2 um, would have had Marty go to the Old West ultimately right. by the end. It would have been not the most expensive film ever made, but it would like have been very. It would have been really expensive in about three hours. And Universal just had a little film called Howard the Duck, which made which lost a ton of money. And Sid Sheinberg was not going to uh, risk. You know, you know, Howard the Duck was also a surefire hit. You it know, is allegedly. amazing. But, the, but there's a difference between Howard the Duck and Back to the Future. Yeah, but there, there are no certainties. There are no certainties. A, there are some matter. certainties. It's so, amazing, though. I mean, you, you you have a lot of anecdotes in there about from, from the process. About Howard the Duck. No. But it's, it's amazing. <laughs> is that your next book? I wish. <laughs> no. But it is amazing how maybe this isn't the case anymore because so much is 
from comic books and stuff mm. like that. But it was amazing then how one film could impact that had yeah. nothing to do, totally different director and everything, would impact the next film that the studio was going to do. It's just, I, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I look at the James the James Bond example where... Um, Casino Royale. No, no. Where um, they were United Artists mm. along with uh, the Rocky movies mm. and, and Rambo and stuff like that. And that company, that studio, literally was went bankrupt because of one movie, Heaven's Gate. Um, <laughs> but it, it impacted everything else after that, and and it probably isn't that way anymore, just because of like um, not not monopolies, but like you know everything is so concentrated in terms of power. I mean, one movie could could never sink a studio. But it's funny because and there's a it's, there's a brief anecdote in the book about this. At least I think it's in the book. But um, when I spoke with Sid Sheinberg, he was talking about how. Um, Steven Spielberg really hated this executive named Frank Price, who actually I yeah. think is I think is deceased now, um, and primarily on the basis Step that on his grave. That, oh, no, Frank Price, who was the executive uh, for used cars, actually, but Frank Price would have been assigned to be in charge of Back to the Future had Spielberg not frozen him out. And the reason why Spielberg didn't like him is because. Frank Price refused to read the script for E.T. Yeah. He passed on it without reading it, and his answer was, well, we just did an Alien movie, and it didn't make any money, so we're not, we're not oh, doing Alien. I don't remember. But we're exactly. not, we're not doing, exactly. But we're not doing Alien movies anymore. So, and Spielberg was like, well, just, can you at least read it? And he's like, nope. And so Spielberg was of the opinion that this guy was an idiot. And so he didn't want, you know, he didn't want an idiot uh, in charge of anything that he did ever again. All right. So, and then the other thing um, is, you know, that you know they, they they use the DeLorean. Yeah. And and you you say in in the, in the book and how you know it was, a, it was a piece of garbage. Yeah. Which I could have as a car. Yeah, I could have told you that. No, it's that was awesome it was a, a hunk of junk, really. Um, have you driven a DeLorean? Um, not driven. I've been in them. Oh, have you? It's impossible. First of all, it's impossible for me to literally drive it. Yeah. I can't fit. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be able to like get my like foot off the pedal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, I, I'm one day I will own a DeLorean. Me too. Not you. You don't want that piece of garbage. Come on, the door that opens up the, the. They had the one of the, I just wanted to make that sound. There was yeah. a guy. There was yeah. a guy on Pawn Stars who in out in Vegas yeah. who drove one in that he had tried to retrofit to look like the back. He did a terrible job. <laughs> it's a construction paper. So Rick didn't clay. even like. He didn't even go go like. He didn't even talk about like the the terrible like effects that the guy put in the car. He's like. It's like, dude, this car's a piece of garbage. It doesn't even run right. You know, I'm looking at the engine; it's all rusted. Yeah, DeLoreans are so junk. They are. They're pretty junky. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean I don't want one. But that's silhouette, though. Exactly with a silhouette. With a silhouette. Anyway, so uh, the crappy DeLorean, and um, (laughs) and then so then there's this documentary that's coming. We haven't mentioned that yet, right? No. Mm -mm. So which. As you would explain to me, because I didn't, I vaguely had heard about it, um, is that it started out as a documentary about the DeLorean car culture, really uh-huh. nothing to do with Back to the Future, and then it like I guess they had they started sort talking of, to people. Sort of, they, and, it started off as a, um, almost a biography, quote unquote, of the DeLorean, of like how the DeLorean car kind of gained cult status in yeah. conjunction with. Back to the Future. So it was Back to the Future was always a part of it, but it was really supposed to be like about really the car. Um, 
And then, yeah, and then as I, I cut you off, but then it, it sort of developed into this greater um, Back to the Future documentary, which looks really cool. Um, so you have competition now. No, no competition. It's a documentary. And, there's, and listen, there's so... The thing that I've learned um, in doing these books is that there's always new material out there. I mean, you know, you can watch, like I have, I've watched all of the special features on the Blu-ray for Back to the Future. Um, and I was still surprised when I spoke with people, you know, with some of the things that I, uh, that I ended up putting in this book. And so I'm sure that the documentarians... Um, you know, uncovered some some cool things that aren't in the book. You know, you talk to different people on a different day, and they have different stories that float up to the top. So, was Back to the Future always from day one fleshed out as a trilogy? No. Or was it like a Hollywood type of oh, it's, that was successful. Let's make a part two, and that was that's exactly what it two. was. I mean, Back to the Future was the hugest. It was the biggest movie of 1985. Um, in the United States, and it was the third largest film worldwide in 1985. But didn't they, so I, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. I'm probably wrong, probably. but at the end of the Back to the Future credits, doesn't it say to be continued? Oh, Greg, would you like to answer uh, that one? Because uh -huh, Greg did his homework, Greg, uh, would you like to? Okay. Well, I knew this already, but. Because I was going to say, how did they know? <laughs> the field mouse is still Michael here. In case, is, is in case you were wondering, the field mouse is still hanging out with us. Uh, <laughs> I was taking a picture of that. Oh, yeah, the field mouse. Oh, yeah, because otherwise people won't believe it. I can stay still. Put it on the, yeah. on the website. See if I can get it. Well, actually, I'll tell the story while Greg gets a picture of the field mouse. So, um, what ended up happening no was. Flat. I'm trying. Any luck? That's there you enough. go. Yeah. Um, in the movie, you know, when it was in theaters. Uh, when it was in the movie, the movie houses, see, um, they they had uh, it didn't say to be continued. Uh -oh. When they released it on VHS, it said to be continued. Uh, those tricky. Um, and then that was by that tricksters. time they knew that you know a sequel was. And was I think on the first DVD release they took it out again. Yeah, it's on. The, it's out. It's out currently. Like a, like on the Blu-ray or anytime it's been on DVD, it's it's been taken off. So you can see it the way that it was supposed, you know, intended to be seen. So, right. but it is, I mean, it's just as a fan, I mean, it's tough sometimes when you think one thing happened in one movie and the other because they, they replayed the movie essentially, you know, mm -hmm. two times mm -hmm. and you always get confused with that stuff. And it, you don't realize, or at least when I was a kid, I didn't realize it. Now as an adult, it's, it's very obvious. But I didn't realize as a kid, the whole thing with like Marty and, you know, calling him a chicken. You know, that whole thing is like <laughs> just just completely created for the sequels. There's none of that in the first Back to the Future. Right. You know. Um, right. Which I didn't realize, you know, as a kid. As a kid, you're, you know, you're just having fun watching them, you know. Well, no, but didn't, I thought like Biff goaded him. In, in the first movie. Nope. Marty, listen, Marty is someone, think about Marty in the first film. He is someone who, like, punches Biff in the in the malt shop, punches Biff in yeah. the cafeteria, or gets ready to punch Biff and then Strickland, you know, breaks it up. You know, he's like a scrappier guy. Now he's a guy who has, like, sensitivity every time someone, <laughs> you know, calls him a chicken. Now he's, you know, crying about it almost, you know. So he's, he's a little bit of a different character, but... You know, it was to give him a little bit of an arc. <laughs> so so when this book comes out, so We Don't Need Roads by Cassine Games. When this book comes out... You're going to see some serious shit. And this is, and like you said, oh, wait, this is... Gotta... Can I say it? Can I say no, that on, no, the, on the podcast? Oh, oops. So, Sorry. I don't think my mom listens to podcast interviews, so... So like you said, well, <laughs> listen, off of iTunes. you're just quoting a movie. So, <laughs> so like you said, this will be the first compendium 
like first reference guide of yeah of uh, you know all the the history and documenting back to the future so how will it feel or how does it feel to wake up knowing you are now the number one in the universe go-to authority of back to the future oh because you are uh, i mean it said this book right that doesn't that elevate you to well i mean listen i think i'm serious i think the great thing with for me it's um my goal is always to to write a book with information that I would want to read, you know, and, and if I were, if I, you know, being a fan of this trilogy, when I went back and, you know, reread it and, you know, trying to catch all the typos, hopefully got them all, um, you know, and all that good stuff, I was just like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Like, I enjoyed reading it as like a fan. Like, I could sort of separate myself from having written it and, you know, geeking out about it all over again. I mean, I'm, it sounds sort of lame probably, but like, I'm looking forward to reading it. I mean, I haven't, I've, um, I haven't really read the book since, I mean, it's, it's been in the can since maybe January or February or so, like I'm, my hands have been off of it and then it's been doing other things, formatting or whatever else happens after that. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting my real copy and thumbing through it and, and going along for the ride again too. It's exciting. It's fun. Does and it feel weird that, that once this comes out, people will say, oh, Cassie. You know what? Let me let me try to contact Kasim Gaines and ask him about like everybody's gonna come to you now. Uh, I know I, the... I know I've told you this before. I, this, I think I've told you this before, but it's funny. I still I get emails every once in a while. It happened a lot more when the Pee Wee Herman book was was. Yeah. Uh, was... We heard you on the Paul Stevenson show. Yeah. About that, right? <laughs> <laughs> sort of. I, I'd get people that would like email me and would go like. Uh, you know, uh, good evening. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is on HBO right now. Oh, and like, and it's very listen. It's Damn. very, it's very, it's very <laughs> sweet. But it's kind of funny because like I don't really check that email address all that often, so I'll get it like three weeks later. I'm uh, like, oh, that was a that was a nice gesture someone uh, made. Pee Wee. You know, like, this is all you do with your life is just watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> I haven't seen Big Adventure in a long time. Actually, I should watch it. It's funny. Hey, the new one is coming out. It's Pee Wee's Big Holiday. You didn't think it was going to be. I didn't think it was. I know. If I had, I'd bet many people. Now it's time for everyone to cash in on all the bets I've made. Well, unless it's terrible. <laughs> that that movie won't happen. It, I mean, rush it, it under the rug. I don't know. It seems. I'm Listen, I didn't think it would get made. So what do I know? You know? I only wrote the book. So my, <laughs> my two last questions. Number one. Yes, sir. When you first watched the Back to the Future trilogy yes. on VHS yes. at your aunt's house, yes. what what was part. it? Yes, what was it about <laughs> it that immediately struck you and and like just what was it about it that clicked with you? Um, I thought it was, you know, I as silly as it sounds. This is the big difference between, like, think about, like, Star Wars. The prequels versus the original films. I mean, there are, there are tons of differences, but the one that I will point to is, <laughs> is having practical effects right. versus yes. uh, visual effects. And as a kid, especially, I really thought this car was going back in time. I really thought, you know, that, you know, hoverboards were really flying. I really, you know, it just seemed so real. It didn't seem like, you know, a video game. You know, you watch Spider-Man now and you see, you know, Spider-Man's jumping from roof to roof and it's obvious that that's not real life, you know, but um, watching those films, especially as a kid, it was the most amazing thing. And I just thought, 
wow, this kid accidentally went back in time and accidentally disrupted his own existence and now has to move heaven and earth to get back to the future. You know, it just, it, it was such... I think the thing that, like, has to be said about the Back to the Future films is that for all of the things that I love about them, the DeLorean, the hoverboards, the, the music, um, the acting, the, the performances, um, it's a amazingly creative story. You know, after 30 years, it's like Citizen Kane. If you watch Citizen Kane now, you go like, oh, okay, the angles are sort of interesting. That's, that's, I get it, I get it. You know what I mean? But, like, it was really innovative. And I think that Back to the Future is just such a great, great idea um, that it, it, all of that captured my imagination. I, I used to play like Ninja Turtles on the playground and we also played Back to the Future like literally like we would on those like big plastic things that had like the steering wheel like someone would be you know Marty told me Doc and then we would go back to where the dinosaurs were and we would play around that way and you know it was just a lot of fun in that regard yeah I mean yeah I was a, I was a huge fan and I had the similar experience I mean I knew about the movie um, I didn't see it the first one in the theaters but my aunt and uncle had a copy VHS and I would watch it at their house all the time until I eventually recorded my own and I don't know if it was a, he probably doesn't remember, the second or third one, Rob and I actually saw it together. In the theaters? Or, yeah, oh, I don't nice. remember which one it was. The third. Was the it? Cowboy one. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was, I mean, you know, obviously I was a big fan of the animated series I loved. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, a, that, in the first season of like Christopher Lloyd and they had like Bill Nye. Yeah, yeah. Bill Nye. I have no idea uh, how Bill Nye ended up getting. Uh, cheaper. So, uh, <laughs> So my other question is, um, so remember when we did your interview with Inside Peter's Playhouse? Yes. And I asked you, and, 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 and we were talking about how... I was slow on that one, Interview with the Vampire, but I got it now. <laughs> we were talking about how we grew up with Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. We know, obviously, who he is and his movies and his TV Physically. show. But you're an English teacher, yes. and your students didn't really know. You're like, mm -hmm. what, is, what is Pee Wee Herman? What is that? Mm -hmm. And we're like, wait a minute. It hasn't been that long, mm -hmm. right? That much time hasn't passed by for Pee Wee Herman to be, to be sort of wiped is. out of pop culture mm -hmm. existence, right? Mm -hmm. So do you, so I'm going to ask you the same question. Do your students know Back to the Future, or has that been wiped out? Surprisingly, genuinely surprisingly, they do. I, you know, um, we we have vocabulary words, and they have to, you know. And, and I sent I sent a picture of this to Bob Gale. I will I will even put this. I can send you a picture of this. Um, a kid, unsolicited, a thousand percent unsolicited, wrote in a vocabulary sentence. The word was brigand, and he wrote, um, "Marty McFly." had to escape the brigands in the Old West in Back to the Future Part 3, or something like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it, right. that's basically like the gist. And so, um, they actually do. I have like a, an actual, like the, um, the soundtrack album like on vinyl in my classroom, and like kids will like recognize like that's from Back to the Future. They, they absolutely do. Um, which so, is weird. That seems to be of the of the three things that I've done. That seems to be the one that they actually have. It's have transcended with. the generation. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the I'm just this is not just coming to you. One of the old memories when I had the VHS copy was you didn't have the same experience because when I saw it, it was still before the other movies. Because mm. it had the to be continued, and I just remember my saying to myself, and it wasn't that long of a time, in two or three years. Mm. But I was always like, 
Oh, are they actually going to make another one? Like, I just couldn't fathom <laughs> yeah. the idea of whether or not it would be made. And then I remember after the third one and Doc decides, spoiler, to stay behind with Clara, uh -huh. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? You have to be back in your own time. You're going to create a paradox. And then they had the animated series just kind of threw everything out the window. Yeah, the so. animated series sort of exists in its own little... Universe, not really in a canon. Is that no, what they say? Yeah, not really it's in not the canon. canon. <laughs> so I, um, I was showing Cassine earlier. I brought back, uh, I brought a couple of mementos that I s still have, and um, one of them is that these the, the fake license plate out of time that they sold at Universal in, in Florida. And this is, I don't, this I scan this, and this is such a bad quality. But this is me. They had props. They had like standees from the Back to the Future animated series in front of this gigantic. I think it's the actual like time traveling train mm -hmm. that they had yeah, there. It is. I don't know if you can even. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it was a really. Are you gonna post that? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What year was that? Ninety-four. Um, Around two. It was like ninety-two. That's very cool. Because it was. I think it was the ninety-two. Because it was like the first year the ride opened. Uh -huh. What else? What other toys? Well, I mean. Visual, but I have the McDonald's. Uh, there was like a four-piece mm -hmm. McDonald's. Uh, well, not even an action figure, but McDonald's Happy Meal yeah. toys. Did you did you often collect um, McDonald's toys, or well, was it Back to the Future that really? Well, we know we'd always get the Happy Meals. Right, right, right. But I mean, like, were you, like I. Like you held on to these, so yeah. like, did you did you collect them? Do you have all of them, or do you just have these? Well, this is all four. No, no, no. no. I mean, general, did you have other, like like Super Mario? Yeah, exactly. Did you have the other? I had the them. other ones. Wait, who is this guy? That's the, the kids. The kids. The kids. Somebody's got to be talking about your kids. Back, back to Future Three. The, well, they, uh, they only had the one kid. Unless I'm missing. No, there are two. Jules and Vern. I know, but they only had one in the in the in the. Oh, oh the animated series. I I think they're. Oh, you're, as part of the set. You there was also yeah. there was also a Teen Wolf. Now this is a this series. is a hoverboard, right? That's yeah. what this is supposed to be. On top of a cloud. But on top, yeah, exactly. This is this wasn't the best conceived nah, toy. But but again, it was from the animated series, so. Still, I mean, <laughs> well, I don't know why he's on a cloud, but um. Yeah, and and the dog Einstein was like a character in the show and would drive the train. Can you talk about the um? Now I'm gonna interview you. <laughs> can you can you talk about the um? Because this is, I think, this is probably both of our favorite toy. I would imagine the dock with the DeLorean that actually sparks up. Yeah. So this was like a this is a very 80s 90s thing, and um, you know it's a little a little plastic DeLorean with Doc, you know his likeness from the cartoon sticking out of the side, and you used to be able to like rev it up on the on the floor or whatever. And the friction in the back wheels would, would you know, there was like, I think you can still see them, there's like metal in there, and it would yeah. cause a spark. Mm. That if it was like dark out, you would see it sparking. It yeah. doesn't really work anymore. Oh, yeah, it does a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Not really. I'll take it. And then it would, like, if you, and then it would go on its own, like, it revved it up really fast. All those it toys, really it's work. funny, I see people all the time at like conventions and stuff. And they're always like, I have one of those Pee Wee Herman dolls. I don't know why they're from the South. I have one of those Pee Wee Herman dolls. Um, they must be worth like a lot of money now, right? And I'm always like, eh, not really. They sold like over a million of them and no one's works, you know? So like if you have like a, a rare one that actually works, that's great. Um, so I just look at these like toys from the 90s and just think about how... But one of the things you, you actually mentioned in the book was that, at least for the first movie and even somewhat for the other ones, that... 
they were never really marketed the way like a lot of like the Star Wars was or Jurassic Park where there was nine million action figures. It was like yeah. there was nothing. Yeah. There literally was nothing. Like as a kid, I can remember the only way you could get Back to the Future paraphernalia mm. was at Universal. That's it. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. Or the happy or the Happy Meal like promotion. Yeah, but that was from from the cartoon. Oh right, right, right. They yeah, didn't have anything true. from really from the movie itself. It was like nothing. No, well, what ended up happening? It's funny. There was actually a lot of stuff like overseas. Like Japan had like a huge, you know, um, which you know you'd probably expect. I mean, it seems like you know either just the the um, the t- all the technology aspects of Part Two probably you know led to it doing really well. Back to the Future Two is still one of the highest grossing films in the history of Japan, wow. which is like crazy what? considering that movie is twenty five years old. And they got the only, like, decent console game of Back to the Future, which was a Super Famicom slash, you know, SNES, didn't come out here, game that we never got. I think it was was called Super Back to the Future. Is that right? Super Back to the Future 2. Yeah. It's it's actually not that good, but But it's better than the crap that we got, like, by a lot. It was, um, those Nintendo games are so, so bad. So, so bad, those Nintendo games. Well, the worst, I think the worst game was Back to the Future 3 on the Sega Genesis. I've never played that. It is, you can't get past the, the first level is Doc riding on the horse, and you have to jump with that a horse. That sounds fun. It's, like, it's impossible. It's like more impossible, impossible than like uh, E.T. for Atari? Well, that's, the, but that's impossible because if you don't know what you're doing, it's impossible. Yeah. If you do, it's not that hard. But no, it's impossible, and I think one of the reasons was that um, they designed the game for Europe, and oh. when they brought it here, because of the PAL timing differences, they didn't bother fixing oh. the PAL timing, so the game goes really fast. Oh, I totally understand what you're saying. They never slowed it down. I totally understand what you're saying. But it's terrible. It's crazy. We're taking a Play picture. Playset. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, so, all right. So we'll go around the room here. Your favorite moment from back, the, the one moment that really captures Back to the Future. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I already, I have mine already. Mine is. Are we allowed to pick the same one? What if we pick the same whatever, one? Okay. Yeah. I don't think you'll pick mine. All right. Mine, mine always was in the first movie at the end, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And Marty's like falling onto the ground trying to play the <laughs> Earth Angel. And this was oh, not to sidetrack, but this is one of the things you mentioned was a terrible visual effects. Uh, yeah. The stupid, the, the disappearing hand, hand where yeah. I was like, whose hand could do that? It's it's in the wrong position. But anyway, um, you know his hand and, and and he's going down, he's going down. He's like, you got George. You know, and he has to kick. And the moment where Crispin Glover, George McFly, kisses Leah Thompson, Lorraine, uh, and right at that moment, and they they jack up uh, Harry Potter singing yep. Earth Angel, uh-huh. you know, and that one moment is like, it, and I still every time I watch it, I still get goosebumps. That's Leah Thompson's favorite moment. Yeah, I mean, you really at that, you're like, whoa, whoa, and and that and that has nothing to do with time mm. travel or anything. It's an like emotional that. moment. I, I I describe it in the book. I think as being the emotional climax, I think is what I said. But, you know, there's sort of two climaxes. The violins come up. Yeah, oh. the strings. All right, your turn. I'm going to let Rob go because I want to oh, see if you guys have mine. Be good. Uh, <laughs> probably an obvious one, but when, you know, they're, 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 there's all this tension because they're trying to 
the the cable won't reach mm. to, to you know Doc Brown and the thunder. Dang. It has to be the exact moment uh, and he's always they get stuck in the tree and yeah. and Marty's revving the engine and or, or he has to like hit it with his head and yeah. it turns on and he's going and it's like is it gonna happen and then the lightning strikes and boom you just see the flames. Come on, man. that That's, was we'll that be, was cool. Man. So I'm gonna say right? it's okay. funny because my my moment is almost Rob's moment, but it's actually a different element of that. Same sequence. For me, it's the lightning hitting the clock tower. Like that's uh, that specific image that I can see so clearly in my in my brain of. And in fact, for me, the it's only, the whole scene. Yeah, the, the whole, sequence. The like, sequence is great. The whole sequence. But if I and it happened three times. And it happens in it's in every uh, the old stuntman who who was Christopher Lloyd's stuntman who did that. He did one stunt was paid for all three movies because they showed that same footage. <laughs> Um, but I'll pick something different though, because because you you we had a similar thing. It's not from the first film, sorry. But the other thing that like really sticks out to me is the hoverboard chase in the tunnel right. in part two when you know Marty's like up against the up against the tunnel and Biff is like whacking him with the door and like Marty like flips over the thing and grabs the sports almanac. The sports almanac is like the greatest MacGuffin in like in, in all of cinema almost. I mean it's like it's so I mean it's obviously very essential to the plot of part two, but like all of this fighting over the book. Right. Oh, I hope everyone's fighting over we don't need roads. That's what I hope. Yeah, I hope everyone's yeah, trying yeah. to trying to yeah. grab it from their neighbor. <laughs> so so casino games. Um Number one, thank you as always. Thank you for having me on. Being a guest on the Porn Stevenson Show, PornStevenson.com. Thank you for the copies of the book. No problem. It was awesome. What is next? So, so you've done Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> you've done a Christmas Story movie. You've done um, Back, to the, Back to the Future. Are you going to tackle something more obscure, like Star Wars or something? No, there's too much Star Wars. I'm kidding. No, no, what's next? A, Jura a Jurassic oh, Park compendium? Uh, no. no. Jaws? Those, well, like, what's, those what's who next? know don't say, and those who say don't know. I don't, honestly, it's, this, this Soul book, Man. Soul <laughs> maybe Man. Maybe that's it. Maybe there were spoilers here. But what else did um, you go? You, you said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers. There are so many things like, I like, loved what? growing up, but you know what? It's, um... For me, I, I really don't know. I mean, you know, you have to. It, it's hard. I mean, if I can, if I can be serious for for thirty seconds here, um, what you need to do is you have to have an idea that's like marketable. Frankly, you have to have an idea that's marketable. You have to also have an idea. There's lots of things that are marketable that you don't want to spend two years of your life working on. It has to be something that you are willing to live, sleep, and breathe. You know, for two full years of your life, and so. Um, you also I need like, a franchise where the people are still alive. Yeah, exactly. That right. For, so, like for what I do, that that makes it a lot. That makes it a lot better. So, you know, the Venn diagram. And I mean, I like a lot of weird, obscure stuff. But the Venn diagram between marketability, uh, alive, alive, and uh, <laughs> living two years of and living two years of your life yeah. is probably a pretty narrow sex. I haven't really settled on that next <laughs> that next project yet. But now that I know that I can just drop by any time, maybe yes. I won't even do another one. Yeah, yeah, you don't exactly. need a book. That's it. In all seriousness, no. In all seriousness, mm. seriousness, though. I had one other um, question. Are you interested in doing more books, or are you going to sure. take a little break for now? Uh, both. Yeah. I'm interested interested in doing more. Interested in taking a little break. You know, I have a very busy summer. 
ahead with this. I'm, like I said, going to London, going to LA, going to Chicago. Um, and I don't want to. I'm not trying to jump the gun, but it's just. Intri- I'm, I, no, I, no, no, no. What I'm saying I'm is, a it's writer. hard, I'm it's not hard a, to. Uh, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't thought about it too yeah. seriously yet. That's what I'm saying. But there will there's be no more. rush. Yeah, there's no rush. I'm not going anywhere. But there will be more, or you're just like, oh my god. I've, I've said everything I need to say. I'm to, be really? there you go. to be continued. To be continued. So one other thing I was going to mention was in the act, not in the advanced copy, but in your actual book, you, I believe you have a forward by Adam F. Goldberg. No, I've come. There's um, okay. Adam F. Goldberg. Um, he's in. He's in it somewhere. He's right. like there's. I think there's. Comments or something from him in the okay. beginning or so. It's not. It's not a forward proper. We tried to. Uh, although he's a. He loved the book. It was so nice to uh, to have him love it. I mean, I don't. I mean, that's so corny to say, but I, we we love the Goldberg. He's the creator of the Goldberg. Yeah, it was. It was like awesome to have him love it. Um, we really tried to get. Um, we really wanted Seth MacFarlane for the foreword. And back when the book was. Um, in September, it seemed much more possible because he was doing Ted Two, um, and then he we just couldn't make the deadline at all. But that would have been cool, just because it's it's in yeah. it's in the wheelhouse, you know. Family Guy does lots yeah. of Back to the Future parodies, and you know he's a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> cool. All right. Any, um, any final no. thoughts? No. We don't need roads. The Making of the Back to the Future trilogy yeah, so available wherever books are sold, everywhere, and on BackToTheFuture.com as well. Everywhere books are sold. I really think that this. Is, I'm not just saying this because you're here. I really think something like this would make really, really great Christmas presents, holiday presents, birthday presents, because it's something that people wouldn't necessarily think of. And everybody's a Back to the Future. Yeah. You know, like Everyone knows family someone who loves members. Back to the it's like, oh wait, wait, what is this? You got oh my, this is awesome, right? Yeah. I'm gonna read about Back to the Future. I'm telling you, really good presents. No, it's a, it's like I said, it's a book I would want if I didn't. I mean, I want it, and I and I wrote it. It's a book that I'd want <laughs> for sure. Cool. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me on. The end. Welcome. No, not the to be continued. Ah, yes. <laughs> but it didn't stop but the end. This is for all you lovers out there. Scram, McFly. Cutting in. Hey, boy. You all right? I can't play. Excuse me.